And good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. It is Harrison Smith back with another episode of Cinema. This podcast is brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. I kind of touch base on this topic and and go back and forth. You can find remnants of it in in previous episodes where uh, one of the things that I I talk about with this cynical attitude toward film and and television and, and content and product is the feeling that whether you're a fan or a viewer or, or just a spectator in general, a very uh, non-committed spectator. There is this belief of, of ownership over a property, whether it's, it's a television show, a movie franchise, etc. And, and I've talked about this uh, quite a bit. But also, there's been this odd thing since social media has started. And uh, it's, it's this belief that things are all about me. And before I get into the entertainment aspect of it, do yourself a favor while you're listening to this, uh, go go online and go to whether it's Yahoo News, wherever you get your news from, where you can read comments underneath the article, whether it's something along the line of uh, a celebrity says they have an illness or almost anything can apply to this. The comments are rarely about the topic at hand. Usually the comments start out with, well, I... This happened to me. I remember once when I, and it's always about that. Now, I know what you're saying. I, I, I sound like, you know, the crabby old man ready to chase some kids off his lawn. But it comes down to everybody thinks it's about them. The article that you just read, let's just say it's a celebrity article. We'll keep it in the world of entertainment. It has nothing to do with you. And most of all, nobody cares. I hate to sound like that. Like, I sound cynical, Nobody cares about your illness. Nobody cares about what's happened to you, especially the ones that are reading these articles. No one cares. And yet we put this out there. It's all about me. You remember back in the day when Netflix, and I don't know if they still do this or not, but online, uh, especially for their DVD service at that time, this is going way back, I guess, a number of years But they had uh, a review page where you could go on, watch something on Netflix and and leave a review. And every once in a while, I'd post one just for some type of of leisure writing, recreational writing. And especially if I saw something particularly good that, you know, hey, look, I, I feel that really somebody should take a look at. And it was more than just I liked it or it sucked. It was always a, a well-thought-out review, which gives support as to why I think you should watch this film or maybe avoid it. And I rarely posted anything to say to avoid, because my attitude is is just don't comment on those things. Uh, I usually try to just leave a positive recommendation for somebody that's trolling through these reviews for whatever reason. I, I actually wrote a couple of these down uh, because they just stood out to me. The one thing that I've noticed with online reviews whether they're Amazon, Netflix, IMDb, and and again, I I need to correct myself. I just caught myself here. They're not reviews. They're comments. A review is an entirely different thing. 
Somebody leaving a comment is not a feature film review. I did some really good examination of, of online comments and how they are not reviews with, I believe it was episode six, uh, in my interview with filmmaker Tucky Williams. Uh, go back and listen to that. She has some great things to say on what constitutes an online review versus what constitutes a comment. One of the things that I, I noticed about these comments is, is the amount of hyperbole that goes on with these things. I mean, you know, whether we, the, the overused word of epic, like epic fail, this thing was epic. All these ridiculous words that really in the end mean nothing. But one of these reviews for uh, the movie Fargo, the, the Coen brothers movie Fargo, uh, stood out to me. And I'm, I'm going to read it to you right now. And this is, this is a quote of that comment. Are you ready? And it says, okay, I watched this movie a billion times and Every time it gets better and better. One time I saw it three times in one day. I watched it in English, then dubbed in French, then back in English. I am actually going to watch it now. And then all caps, that's how much I love this movie. We'll get to the hyperbole on watching it a billion times in, in a moment. It's all about me. That's how much I love this movie. This is not a review. And in fact, I'm amazed that it wasn't some 12-year-old that wrote it. It reads like that. So the reviewer watched Fargo a billion times. The film runs 98 minutes. So 98 minutes times 1 billion, and, and, and you get my point. Not only did this viewer, reviewer I should say, watch it three times in one day, they watched it in all the available dubbed languages, and then continue to let us know that they are going to spend more time watching it right at the moment we are reading their comment. Then to add emphasis, as if all of this were not enough, like I said, they write it all in caps how much they love Fargo. So I know what you're thinking. Again, get off my lawn, you rotten kids. But part of cinema is the inability of an audience to use critical thinking in separating motion and the odd belief the movie and its subsequent review are all about them. Where is the review for Fargo, folks? That's what I'm asking. I, I see a comment. I, I don't see a review. It's very clear this statement is all about the author. There is no criticism, no analysis, not a shred of critical thinking. It's about me. I love this movie. I enjoyed this movie. It's my favorite movie. Let's use Fargo for one other example that moves me closer to my point. This leads me into a, a whole other avenue here for, for people that also feel that uh, online commenting is also a place for psychotherapy. So here is another actual comment from the old Netflix movie review page. I don't think people would be writing about how funny this movie is if they saw a real murder like I did in real life. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I guess we're all supposed to just know that, right? And, and of course, we should really be censoring our posts according to your feelings and, and your traumas. This is a movie comment section, not a therapy session. What does this comment have to do with the review or explanation of this film? This is not an objective review on a piece of culture. This is a person working out mental trauma in a public forum to draw attention to themselves. If this person insists on sharing their private pain, well, then they should see a therapist rather than putting it out onto the net. What this has to do with them 
and the horrible thing they experienced and, and their view that others would change their mind and position on Fargo leads to one answer. The commentator, not reviewer, needs to exercise their demons in a more appropriate place. Nobody cares that you saw a murder in real life. I'm sorry that that happened. However, no one reading movie comments or reviews, whatever you want to call them on a Netflix page, really cares what you witnessed and saw or was traumatized by. So I'm going to roll right into something else. There was a a page for Marmaduke. Remember that old movie Marmaduke, the, the CGI animal movie? Uh, the I guess the terrible adaptation. I, I was never a fan of the Marmaduke comic anyway, the, the still panel comic. And I, I had to watch it one time. Um, my nephew was really into it at that time, you know, talking animal movies. And so I watched it with him, I think on DVD. And, and there, there was a scene uh, that referenced a, a comedy thing about um, peanut allergies, uh, food allergies. And sure enough, on, on this quote unquote review page, Somebody had to make it all about them. And they wrote this, and this is an actual quote for Marmaduke. I like this movie, except for the unnecessary comment about peanut butter and food allergies when Marmaduke goes on a date with Jezebel. Give me a break. Don't use movies as a tool to target people with food allergies. Almond butter is a tree nut, and many have allergies to both peanuts and tree nuts. So, and all caps, not funny. How the hell does this constitute a review? This reviewer, like many, seemed to think the movie-making process was all about them, using language like target, and for some reason has to educate the world on nut allergies. There's nut talk, all right, and it reflects a growing narcissism in the culture and the inability to use rational, intelligent thought to make a point. Self-centered emotionalism has taken over and has created a dangerous smokescreen. The real danger in Marmaduke is not nut allergies, but rather it is a film that really isn't a film. It's a prefabricated showcase of product placement and overproduced auto-tuned songs stitched together with bad CGI and mediocre human talent and passed off as good family entertainment to the masses that embrace it. It is mediocrity, realized and seen as acceptable by an audience that doesn't know better. And here's the most important part. They don't want to know any better. I plan on sometime soon doing um, a cinema episode on the movie Popeye, which to this day still gets a lot of flack and and a lot of garbage. And it's currently streaming at the time of this recording on on Netflix. I personally feel that it is Robin Williams' best motion picture. And I know a lot of people out there are going to argue against that. And they're going to throw up all kinds of things. I feel it's a film that best showcased all of his talents. It's wrongly perceived as a box office bomb. It did not bomb. It made a profit for Paramount Pictures. And and Disney even got their hands in on that one. And Williams had criticized the film and and generally regarded his his first feature film choice as as a big mistake. There's a famous um, clip of him out there somewhere. He was doing stand-up not long uh, after Popeye came out, and he made a joke about it. He, he somehow referenced the film and then said, you know, don't you know Popeye was, wasn't good for anybody? And I really think it's sad because, again, I, I think it's his best motion picture. Although the film was financially successful, it drove its director, Robert Altman, in, into exile, basically. And and Popeye was considered really by some as, as Robert Altman's Heaven's Gate, like a colossal bomb. And I'm going to argue that it, it just might be his best. 
the the sad part is there's a director's cut I've heard floating around out there somewhere, uh, or at least extra footage. I would love to see that footage sometime or see a fully restored print of the film. And and look, to be fair, I can understand why the movie was met so negatively. Uh, I was one of the few kids when I saw it. I saw it like in 1980 in theaters. And and there are a couple things there that, that made it stand out to me. Number one, I think the film is truly art. But the problem is, I don't think it was very commercial art. And I don't think it was the movie that a lot of people were expecting. Keep in mind that, that Williams was just coming off Mork and Mindy and his wild stand-up as well, which HBO was, was making a fortune on in broadcasting. A lot of people were expecting a far wilder and more action-packed movie. Instead, Popeye is, is a very detailed character study, and, and I'll get into all of that when I do an eventual cinema podcast on, on the making of the film and why the film is not cinema, C-Y-N-E-M-A, but rather cinema, C-I-N-E-M-A. Let's go now back to It's All About Me and what this person wrote as supposed to be some type of assessment of the film. Again, I, I will not use the word review, but here is their comment, and, and I am quoting. You ready? I love Robin Williams, and that is love in all caps. And in parentheses, he and I share a birthday 30 years apart. And I love Shelley Duvall for her acting in The Shining and other such greats as Fairy Tale Forest. That was a series. I'll get into that in a moment. But this movie just bombed. I remember I hated it years ago and thought I'd give it another chance. And here we are. And yes, all caps, it sucked again, exclamation point. Once again, folks, the review is not about the film, but it is about the reviewer. They insist on telling us that they, quote unquote, share a birthday with star Robin Williams. No, you don't. You have nothing in common with Robin Williams except watching his movies. That's it. How does the delusion of birthday sharing constitute a movie review or even an intelligent comment. The reviewer never met Robin Williams, nor shares any personal relationship with him. So the word love is another example of overused hyperbole. Let's continue in that quote. I love Shelley Duvall for her acting in The Shining and other such greats as Fairy Tale Forest. The reviewer loves Duvall so much she gets the name of Duvall's program wrong as it is Fairy Tale Theater, if you folks remember that. The reviewer then teases with the possibility of making a real critique involving Shelley Duvall's acting. Instead, it becomes another me list with the reviewer's personal favorite films. For example, nothing is said about the overwhelming positive reviews on Duvall's turn as olive oil, with some critics who derided the film confessing an Oscar nomination should not have been out of the question for Shelley Duvall, even though they didn't like the rest of the movie. If the reviewer and I quote, loves, in all caps, Robin Williams, what about a look at his performance as the iconic cartoon sailor? The reviewer loves him, but won't even spare a few sentences on his performance. And then let's look at that last part. Thought I'd give it another chance, and here we are, and yes, it sucked again. With nothing to support this review but personal feeling, the author drops the generic, sucked, to sum it all up. And, and let's stop here for a minute and really split some hairs. What exactly does the word suck mean? I think we do know. And, and for those of you who don't remember, way back in the day in, in the 80s, in the late 80s, uh, they turned Uncle Buck 
into a TV series, a brief uh, CBS, I believe it was, TV series. And I know that some critics had a real problem with the fact that I think the opening line, the very first words of the pilot series, the very first episode, this kid comes down the steps, looks at Uncle Buck and uh, said something along the line of, you suck. So what does the word suck mean? I mean, it's become so generic now and so mainstream that we don't even stop to think about what it means. We just apply it to whatever we don't like. That food sucked, that drink sucked, that car sucks, that movie sucks, that song sucks, that TV show sucks, you suck, I suck, cinema sucks. What does it mean? Well, I'm going to tell you what it means. It means suck dick. So think about how widely used the word sucks is. Look about, look about you and see where it's used in public, on television, on t-shirts, on whatever. And most of all, see how many little kids say it. Like we're talking little kids, eight, nine, 10 years old. They all use it. And most of the time the word is just greeted with laughter. But really what people are saying is when something sucks, it sucks dick. So think about that with the generic use of the word sucks. So going back to Popeye with, with nothing to support this quote unquote review, but personal feeling, that author dropped the generic sucked to sum it all up. They could have saved a lot of time and just wrote a single line. This movie sucked. Or let's make it even simpler. Let's start having reviews that just say this movie sucked dick. Look, all reviews are biased, but this trend of self-centered amateur public reviewers making reviews all about them stunts the ability of a society to objectively assess the culture it creates and improve upon it. How can filmmaking advance when the audience that consumes the product becomes less demanding and is lulled into an indifferent state of mind where anything is accepted and worse is seen as high quality or amazing, incredible, awesome, epic. Those words are also overused to the point where they mean nothing. So let's move over real quick to uh, the late film reviewer, film critic, uh, Roger Ebert, who to this day stands as, as my favorite critic of all time. I, I really feel that, that Roger Ebert had a very open mind with critical thinking and sometimes even went back and reassessed some of the things that he had trashed originally. Uh, let's look at uh, Ebert's old feud with uh, actor Rob Schneider. Do you remember that? If you remember, Ebert was an, an almost godlike film reviewer for the Chicago Times, uh, the Chicago Sun-Times, and, and he had a brief feud with, with actor Rob Schneider. I think it was around 2005, uh, Los Angeles Times film critic Patrick Goldstein wrote a review of Rob Schneider's uh, Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. Remember that one? And with tongue-in-cheek, the guy wrote something along the line that the Schneider's film had been snubbed for an Oscar nomination because, and I'm quoting here, nobody had the foresight to invent a category for best running penis joke delivered by a third-rate comic. And it's pretty harsh, but, you know, Goldstein went ahead and published it. Well, not surprisingly, Schneider took some umbrage. Whether Rob Schneider was truly offended or saw an opportunity to, to generate press for himself. And, and again, that goes back to using the old Hollywood axiom that, that bad press is better than no press at all. And, and trust me, I'll be talking about that in an upcoming episode on Sonic the Hedgehog. But Schneider took out a, a full page ad and, and a number of ads in, in the major Hollywood trades, you know, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, etc. And he claimed he researched uh, Goldstein 
and found out that he never won a single journalistic award. His ads also said this in his counterattack on Goldstein, and I am quoting Rob Schneider here. Maybe you didn't win a Pulitzer Prize because they haven't invented a category for best third-rate, unfunny, pompous reporter who's never been acknowledged by his peers. Patrick, I can honestly say that if I sat with you and your colleagues at a luncheon, afterwards they'd say, you know, that Rob Schneider is a pretty intelligent guy. I hope we can do that again. Whereas if you sat with my colleagues after lunch, you would just get beaten beyond recognition. That's what Rob Schneider said to Patrick Goldstein. I mean, to be fair, Schneider was was obviously very wounded by those comments. And he went on Tom Green's TV show. Um, I, I'm going to provide the link to this. I think I have it. Uh, where he called Goldstein a scumbag. And he accused Goldstein of being a substandard critic. Well, Patrick Goldstein did respond and publicly asked, Who are Schneider's colleagues and why would I want to have lunch with them? This public back and forth attracted the attention of, of Roger Ebert, okay? And uh, he entered the fray with some very famous information that he dug up on Patrick Goldstein. And of course, Ebert's response to Rob Schneider and his all about me attack on Patrick Goldstein is now infamous. Ebert found through research, and I'm, I'm emphasizing research, that Goldstein not only had peer recognition, Patrick Goldstein had won a number of awards. He won the National Headline Award, the Los Angeles Press Club Award, a RockCritics.com Award, and the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Publicist Guild. Ebert then went to his own internationally syndicated column, and Ebert printed this information, and as if enough egg wasn't thrown in Schneider's face, Ebert punctuated it with this now famous personal statement to Rob Schneider. And it was one hell of a smackdown to Rob Schneider and his All About Me campaign. And I am quoting Ebert right here. And he says, Rob Schneider is correct. Patrick Goldstein has not yet won a Pulitzer Prize. Therefore, Goldstein is not qualified to complain that Columbia Finance Deuce Bigelow, European gigolo, while passing on the opportunity to participate in Million Dollar Baby, Ray, the aviator, sideways, and finding Neverland. As chance would have it, I have won the Pulitzer Prize, and so I am qualified. Speaking in my official capacity as a Pulitzer Prize winner, Mr. Schneider, your movie sucks. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, wait a minute. Roger Ebert used the word sucks. I guess that's okay. So Schneider countered by calling Roger Ebert an ass. And Ebert simply replied, if he's going to persist in making bad movies, he's going to have to grow accustomed to reading bad reviews. Ebert said so much with that. Again, if you're going to put yourself out there, and I love that when people do that, they put private information, they express themselves, which really they should probably not be doing publicly. They open themselves up to criticism and then they are affronted and, and insulted when somebody comes back and comments or attacks them. So basically what Ebert is saying is, you put it out there, I'm just responding, dude. Now I will say this about Rob Schneider, and, and this is not a piling on of Rob Schneider, I've never met the man, but however, to, to Schneider's credit, when Roger Ebert fell gravely ill with cancer and, and lost most of his jaw to the disease, Schneider did send him flowers with a card reading, and I'm quoting the card, your least 
favorite actor, Rob Schneider. And, and since that time, uh, before Roger Ebert died, both men uh, made their peace with each other. And, and Ebert declared publicly that, that Schneider may make bad movies, but he's not a bad guy. And, and you see, that's what I always loved about Roger Ebert. He was willing to kind of separate things and look at things for how they really are. I always enjoyed that about him and, and his writing. I, I learned a lot from Ebert's reviews. Now, I can also say that sometimes uh, Ebert cut corners and, and I can cite Halloween 3. If you go back and read Ebert's review, you can find it online on, on RogerEbert.com uh, under the Chicago Sun-Times, I believe, still. Go back and read the review for Halloween 3. Uh, I don't think Roger Ebert watched the film. And how I know this is, is because when I read the review, I talked to the film's director on the phone, Tommy Lee Wallace. I picked up the phone. I said, Tommy, did you ever read Roger Ebert's assessment of Halloween 3? And he said, no. So I sent it to him. And when Tommy read it, he got back to me and he said, you know, uh, film critics, and he goes, Ebert, not excluded from this. Film critics sometimes sit down with a VCR, DVD player, whatever, and they watch the film on fast forward because literally and physically, it might be just impossible to watch that many movies in your lifetime or throughout the year. So some corners have to be cut. And it was Tommy's theory and watching uh, Halloween 3 again and looking at that review, I think he's right. I think Ebert sat down, probably felt, uh, it's Halloween 3. What what more can we say about this? Not even realizing that Halloween 3 had nothing to do with the other films. And he just sat there and visually scanned. And he he just kind of picked it up through extrapolation. That That's what I think. I really do. And then he just would stop every once in a while, listen to a scene or something to give some, some detail to the review. But I don't really think he really watched Halloween 3. Read that review. I will provide the link in my show notes. But going back to It's All About Me, uh, after Schneider, of course, sent those flowers. With a single stroke of logic and fact, Ebert put out the fire between Schneider and Goldstein and perhaps gave Schneider something to think about and, and that maybe it wasn't all about him. Ebert's deft handling of the situation, while hardly a national crisis, showed reserve and even respect for Schneider as he stayed away from a personal attack against the actor. He assessed the actor's body of work and found himself qualified in his usual perceptive review to criticize Deuce Bigelow with adding a humorous punchline, and that was, your movie sucks. And in fact, Ebert went on to publish a book with that very title, Your Movie Sucks. But Ebert didn't use sucks as the foundation of his review. He used the term in the proper humorous context as a useless exaggeration for fun, not to intelligently assess a piece of popular culture. Ebert also used restrained dialogue to foster civil discourse that in the end showed that he didn't take himself or the media feud all that seriously. True power is never having to use it, if you remember that quote. And Roger Ebert had the power to destroy Rob Schneider with the vast power of his column as well as much of Hollywood behind him. Schneider made it personal and all about him. And in the end, set things right personally with that card and flowers to Roger Ebert. So I'm going to end this short podcast with this. Dear audiences, it's not about you. No one cares about your allergies, birthdays, traumatic events, your kids, 
as much as you think they should. The next time you go to use the word sucks, and you may be using it for this episode, think about what sucks really means. And if you don't care, think about that the next time your six-year-old lets it roll out of their mouth. This is Harrison Smith. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking to you next week. And again, this episode of Cinema has been brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give a rating and review. Cinema is also available on YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Play Music and more. Check out my cinema blog on horrorfuel.net and download Dark Matter TV for your Apple or Android devices.